Hi, I'm Georgie, and today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 32. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing the children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to them, Teacher, I have kept all those from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Then the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell them, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more, now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed them were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them that things were going to happen to him. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you, Joel. And good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name's Ed, Senior Minister here at OEC, and uh, we have a wonderful part of the Scriptures 
today to read together, to wrestle over. Uh, we will need the Lord's help, so I'll pray in a sec. Uh, but as we do, uh, it's great to have our youth in. So young youthies, um, really work hard to listen and engage with God's Word. So you want your Bibles open, guys. And if you want to take notes and ask questions, I will happily ask, answer any question at the end. Uh, for everyone else, if you have a little one here, we haven't mentioned this in weeks, but um, we have a parent room, which is that little glass thing up the back. We love noise, so please do not be worried. But if you would like some quiet from my dulcet tones, sorry, if your baby needs, you know what I mean, go out, you can go out the door and round um, and uh, you will have some peace and quiet. So uh, that is there for you if you want it, but please feel no pressure. Uh, let's ask the Lord for help. Lord God, this is a very challenging part of your word. Uh, the disciples were astonished over and over again as you spoke to them. And so help us not be defensive this morning. Help us come to your word as children, ready to be listened and changed by our great Saviour. Amen. Well, if you play one game of cricket for Australia, you join the Baggy Green Club. If you're a scientist and you have a gorgeous mane of hair, you get to join the Luxuriant Flowing Hair Club for Scientists. Typical name for scientists. If you fulfil 12 very difficult criteria, you can put C.A., Chartered Accountant, after your name. And if you use a Martin Baker ejector seat to escape an aircraft in an emergency, you join the Ejection Tie Club. Please wear it to church next week if you're in that club. Groups are a normal part of society. And those who want to get into a group have to meet a requirement. And when you fail to meet the requirement, it is always embarrassing. One night I was out with my friends. We were celebrating a 21st or a 25th or something. And we arrived at the venue and everyone was excited. And as I walked, went to go in through the door, the guy at the door shook his head. I went like this. He went like that. And I looked at my shoes, which were very comfortable, but not nice enough for that particular venue. And I went home. I was not invited in. Today, how do you get into God's kingdom is the question on the disciples' lips. As they're walking the road to Jerusalem, they're asking, how do you get into God's kingdom? And for the Jews, they'd never even asked the question before. They were God's people. They were in the kingdom. And then there was really religious people who, of course, were really in the kingdom. Then Jesus turned up. And his powerful actions and words that we've seen in Mark 1 to 9, that is strong evidence that he is the king of the kingdom. Yet his kingdom is nothing with what you expect. He says, I'm going to be victorious through suffering and death. And if you want to follow me and be in my team, you need to follow that pattern. You need to choose to be last in a world that wants to be first. You even need to lose your life, deny yourself. And it made the disciples very uncomfortable. And if you've been reading along, it has made us very uncomfortable. In chapter 10, 
Jesus tackles the entry question. Who gets in? Who gets to be in the greatest team, the most victorious team in the universe? Because if you read the Bible, you know Jesus wins. Who gets in? The answer, no one. See it there in verse 26? The disciples said to one another, who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible. Now what's Jesus saying there? Today we're going to work it out. And we're going to work it out by looking at three different characters Jesus met on the road to Jerusalem. And these three characters all thought they were in the kingdom and then realized they weren't. I'm also going to spend a few minutes on the complex topic of divorce. Okay, so group number one, the religious. As Jesus was moving closer to Jerusalem, some Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they aggressively ambush him, you know, like a Channel 10 reporter, you know, and they stick a mic in his face. And they ask him a question, but the question isn't genuine. Okay, you look at the question, it looks nice, but it's not genuine because the various Jewish groups all agreed that divorce was legal. That wasn't even for debate. What they debated in the first century was the grounds for divorce. And so the, the rabbi school of Shammai, they limited it to only sexual un, unfaithfulness. Okay, that was the only reason a man could divorce a woman. But the rabbi school of Hillel gave men the ability to divorce a woman for any reason. She cooks a, she cooks a bad spaghetti bowl, divorce. She speaks badly about his mother, divorce. She lacks respecting him, divorce. Now, if you think I'm joking, you can go and read the rabbi's writings. They just said, there is permission to do it whatever you want. And so the, the rabbis, they come to test Jesus because they want Jesus to be embarrassed either in front of the religious people or in front of Herod, who we know divorced his wife. Jesus plays their game. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Now, these men represent the best in Israel. They loved God's word. They were meticulous with the rules. Surely they were in the kingdom. But their answer reveals their heart. Because Jesus asked them for God's command and they reply with a permission from Deuteronomy 24, which was the minimum acceptable standards. You see, the Pharisees in their heart expected all of the people they talked to to meet God's perfect standard, but they themselves gave themselves permission to meet the lowest acceptable standard. It's the same for us, isn't it? It's when Christian dating couples ask the question, how far can I go? What's, how much can I go? What's permitted? How much sin can I do before I'm really bad? Or how much soft porn and grotesque violence can I watch but it just be entertainment? Do you see we have the same sort of permission? How much sin can I permit before I cross a line. 
That's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus calls them on it. He says, Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's not the model for marriage. It is a law that God gave to limit the damage when sinful men abandon God's word. God only gave you a way out of marriage because you are hard-hearted against God and his word. And so what Jesus then does is take them from the permission way back to first principles to God's good design of marriage, which is in Genesis 1 and 2. And the beautiful design of God's marriage is God takes two, a man and a woman, and he makes them one. That is the incredible design of God. And that bond is a bond of incredible, incredible intimacy and permanence. And so what is the command? You see it there in verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, the purpose of marriage is never about personal love. It is never about fulfillment you get out of your spouse. It's the creation of a new family. It is a creation of something that is cleaved together by God. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, divorce was inconceivable. It was impossible. It was seeking to undo that something God had made one. And in Genesis 3, when humanity fell and sin spread into everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, it actually didn't change God's purpose for marriage. In Malachi chapter 2, God says, I'm a witness of every single marriage. And so till death does us part is not idealistic, nice, but impossible. It's God's good way for people and society. And so the command of God is not to work out how to pull the ejector cord, but how to stay in with God's help. And the best of Israel knew that. They studied God's word. And so this conversation, James Edwards gets it great. They want to talk about crash landings, the emergency, the escape. Jesus wants to talk about great marital flying, the blessing and the plan of God. The Pharisees were hard-hearted. They knew that to get into the kingdom, they had to meet God's very holy standards and they fell short. They're not in. Now, as the crowds leave, the disciples had questions. Hey, Jesus, are there some exceptions? Jesus, do you really mean this? Jesus doesn't back down, does he, in verses 10 to 12? He actually does something incredibly culturally weird. He puts men and women on the same footing. In the Jewish day, a woman divorcing a husband was inconceivable, never happened. But it did in the Roman world. And what Jesus knows is this applies to both. Divorce is not good and it can lead to adultery and sin. God's people need to go to God's word and do what it says. Okay. It's really important we note here that Jesus is not attacking people wounded by marriage. He is not talking to those whose marriages are broken up. And he's not saying that divorce is unforgivable. 
because we know that every sin is forgivable when you come to Jesus. He is attacking the Pharisees who have a hard-hearted attitude to God's word. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you think you deserve to be in God's kingdom because you meet a human standard, you should take heed and learn from the Pharisees. But the Pharisees picked this issue to test Jesus because it's complex. In our church, there are some in very difficult marriages who work every day to try and stay in. There are people in our church who have needed to get out. There are people in our church who have been abandoned. And there are people in our church who have made foolish choices. In every one of those situations, there is pain and brokenness. Then there's the complexity around gender, marriage redefinition, forced marriages, child marriages and remarriages. It's tempting just to avoid the issue, isn't it? It's attempting to forget that this is about real people who are hurting. But we don't need to avoid it. Because God's design and purpose for marriage is good. He wants what is best for us. And so the path to peace is not the path determined by progressive thinking. It is the path defined by God, our creator. But we must not be naive. We swim in the culture of self. And it promotes divorce. You see, the wedding industry of Orange, Hollywood, Marriage at First Sight, Ed Sheeran, they all frame marriage as finding the perfect partner who will never cause you pain. That is guaranteed disappointment. Because in a marriage are two flawed people. And so when we pursue self-fulfillment, divorce becomes a sensible option. See it here from two guys giving advice to you. Modern people, if you're modern, you change your values and lifestyle. People always want new things in 2023. So letting go of your marriage, if it's no longer fulfilling, can be the most successful thing you have ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-orientated step. So order your divorce ring band. Celebrate new beginnings. That is what our culture is saying. We must not be naive. But Christian marriage is mirrored on the cross where the one flesh union between Jesus and his people and the marriage of Jesus and his people is permanent because it's a covenant that's sealed in the blood of Jesus. The cross frames marriage as self-sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. And the cross-shaped marriage is two people bonded together, sharing a cross, bearing sufferings together, and walking with Jesus' help to the new Jerusalem, and then running to the cross when they fail. So brothers and sisters, the few of you here who are married, 
your main goal in your marriage is to grow the one flesh bond that God has created. And the method for doing that is this. Repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. Repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. Over and over again. Your wife, brothers, is not always the one in the wrong. Sisters, your husband is not always the one in the wrong. Christian marriages shaped on the cross, we repent to each other, we forgive one another, we are reconciled. And if you are married, divorce is not a tool in your toolbox. It may be necessary, but it is never, ever good. It is never a new start. There is no such thing as an ex-husband or ex-wife. You can divorce a person, but you cannot divorce the history together. You see, divorce is the bitter fruits of hard hearts when one or two married people stop repenting, forgiving and reconciling. Divorce can take place in cases of unrepentant sexual breaking of the marriage bond or by abandonment of that bond. I think that abandonment includes verbal abuse. I think that abandonment includes physical abuse. I think that abandonment includes one partner leaving. Escaping abuse is never, ever a sin. But I use the words may take place because all Christians are open to genuine repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation. And whilst you don't know them, there are wonderful stories at church at 9 and church at 10.45 and 4 and 6.30 of couples who have chosen the hard path of repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation to heal the bond that is very badly broken. What about us as the church? What's our role? Well, we re need to resist the soap opera culture that encourages and celebrates divorce. We need to stop celebrating low standards and commit to obeying God's word when we advise our brothers and sisters. We must never call clean what God calls unclean. So we have to go long, don't we? We have to say to brothers and sisters who are hurting, I'm going to help you commit, sacrifice, repent, forgive and reconcile. And when things go wrong, we share the sufferings of the broken. And we even call adulterers to repentance and restoration. It's a very complex topic. I'm very, very happy to talk more. Or if you'd like to read more, I'm happy to share some resources. Let's go to character two. Exclusive clubs are for the rich and elite. Money and influence opened doors that remained closed to normal people like me. There's a club in New York called the Core Club. It'll cost you $100,000 to get in the door and you have to be known as a restless innovator. 
you also have to be able to find the hidden door. It's not for me. But that was the world of the rich man in Mark 10. That man Jesus met had vast possessions. That was the product of hard work and business skills. And to everyone, he appeared blessed by God. And moreover, as you see there, he's devout. He runs to Jesus. He kneels before him. Of course, this decent guy must get into heaven. No. And Jesus reveals his problem. You see, Jesus firstly asks, see it there? He firstly asks him about outward horizontal commands. And the guy goes, no murder, tick. No lying, tick. He's a good guy, decent guy. But Jesus knows he's neglected the vertical commands. You shall have no other God but me. And see verse 21, you lack one thing, brother, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. It's a jaw-dropping challenge. And it's not about giving the money away. Jesus is saying, come and follow me with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Come and, come and follow me as number one, and the man leaves with his money. Can you imagine the disciples? How can a religious guy and a decent guy not get in? Think of the most godly person at OEC that you want to be like. How can they not get in because of all the things they do at OEC? Let's go back to that verse again, verse 27. Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, comma, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. You see, this is the road to Jerusalem where everything is upside down. Your money, your good behaviour, your status, it'll open doors in orange. You'll get into the mayor's office if you are rich and famous, but it will not open the kingdom's door because no human meets God's standards. Entry into the kingdom is only possible by what God has done. And that takes us to the third example. So go back to verse 13. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Isn't it a beautiful picture and an ugly picture? Dads and mums bringing their children so Jesus would pray a blessing and the disciples acting like bouncers, stopping children from getting to Jesus. He's too busy. He's too important for children. How quickly they've forgotten to welcome the nobody from last week. Do you see it there? Verse 15. Jesus was deeply grieved. It's the only time it's used in Mark's gospel. It is a words that describe an intense, sad angriness. You see, the disciples had missed who gets in. You see, the disciples, they thought they were in because they were Jesus' groupies. But the kingdom doesn't belong to groupies. It belongs to children, the utterly dependent and needy. See it there in verse 15? 
Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What Jesus is not saying here is that every child gets into the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is if you are 90 years of age this morning, be like a child. If you are 40 years of age, be like a child. Not in innocence, but in utter dependence. Because entry into God's kingdom is for those who come to Jesus honestly in utter dependence, as a guilty human, with no excuses, no resume, only open hands asking for mercy. We're going to sing these words soon. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace, stained by sin to you I cry, wash me saviour or I die. That's how you come to the kingdom. And that's the reason Jesus is growing to Jerusalem. Jesus will be handed over by sinful men. He will bear the sins of your sins. He will suffer your just punishment. He will pay your ransom so that needy, sinful, broken people get into the kingdom. The best, most victorious team in the universe. Kingdom entry depends on being served by Jesus as a child. Have you been served by King Jesus? I can guarantee you what will stop you going to the kingdom and what will stop your friends at school and your work colleagues going to the kingdom will not be Jesus' sexual ethics. It will be pride and independence. Have you been served by King Jesus? You know you have if you have come to him with open hands. You know you have if you've come in repentance and received forgiveness. And if you've walked through that door, then you are loved, adopted, saved, justified, chosen, redeemed forever. And it's all a gift. So why don't we come right now before our loving God with open hands? I'm going to pray a long prayer by Paul Tripp. Will you pray with me? Father, forgive me. I am a sinner in need of desperate grace. Forgive me for the sins I name as less than sinful. Forgive me for hating the sin in others more than my own sin. Forgive me for every moment when I love what you name as evil. Forgive me for loving my pleasure more than I love you. Forgive me for those times when my talk is not shaped by the love for you and others. Forgive me for those moments when I fail to give others the grace you've given me. Forgive me for those times I want control 
rather than resting in your control. Forgive me when I doubt your wisdom, mercy and love. Forgive me for every moment when I am angry because I don't get my own way. Forgive me for those times when I have used my gifts for my glory and not yours. Forgive me when my fantasies are outside your boundaries. Forgive me when I'm not a good steward of my time, energy and resources. Forgive me when I, when it, for every time I battle for my way instead of joyfully submitting to your way. Forgive me for in feeling entitled to be loved while at the same time failing to love. Forgive me for carrying a burden of guilt because I have doubted your forgiveness. I bow before your holiness, not because of my righteousness, but because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Knowing my penalty has been paid, I come to you for what only you can offer. Please work to keep my heart tender and my mouth always willing to confess my need for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.